Welcome to Limited Time Only, the podcast for anyone who feels there aren't enough hours in their life. Limited Time Only is a mix of chat, comedy sketches and interviews with interesting people. We hope that we will make you smile, laugh and feel a bit brighter about the whole life, death and everything in between malarkey. Essentially, we're dissecting the human condition, just using a rubber chicken rather than a scalpel. I'm Esther and I'm Susie and And this this is Limited Limited Time Time Only. Only. This week it's time for joy. Definition of joy. A great happiness or pleasure. A joy is a person or thing that causes happiness. My friend Mel, her mum's called Joy. (laughs) (laughs) Thought I'd get that in there. Shout out to Joy. I think I'm going to write to the Cambridge Dictionary to get them to include that as number three. Number three, Esther's friend's. Joy, what's her name? Joy Arnold. Holla, Joy Arnold. Holla. Holla. <laughs> she used to be um, our school dinner lady as well. And I remember us all sitting in the classroom one day having a wet lunch. <laughs> um... Sorry, what? <laughs> I told him what's become me? of me today. <laughs> Is that what you called them? Was that when it was bolognese or something? <laughs> no, it was when it was raining oh. and we couldn't go outside. Did you normally eat lunch outside? If we got packed lunches at high school I think we did I remember us going into the dinner hall to get hot lunches but I don't know I just remember anyway we were all sitting in the classroom and Joy walked in and she was probably only 40 and Mel told us that she'd been out the night before Mel is her daughter my friend and uh and was dancing to higher and higher temptation that's what it's called and she came that's it and she walked in and we all got up and sung it at her because we thought it was hilarious that she'd been on a night out when she was that old and we worked it out recently that she was probably only 40 and oh, um God. but in our minds we'd written her off as this you know middle-aged dinner lady well do you go out i don't go out <laughs> well not at the moment no but i do like to dance i do yeah. i remember going clubbing once and clubbing once clubbing once went to cream once and uh drank lots of water genuinely and then got stopped because um people thought i was on something because i was so happy and then going to a nightclub in bournemouth and wearing a dress that had lots of tiny holes in it and then wearing white underwear so that i wouldn't look tarty and when we got <gasps> there i was just lit up neon boobs yes. neon pants oh no i walked in and looked down and i was <laughs> like a beacon <laughs> across the <laughs> UV. A UV. I was just like day glow. And um, at first I was a bit, oh my God, I need to hide. And then by the end of the evening, I was loving it. And I snogged a very attractive man who was very tall. Mm. So I had quite a nice evening in the end. It worked in my favour. Oh, I've got a similar story about fluorescent things. Because when I was about 14, there was a craze for hyper colour t-shirts. Do you remember? They, they, oh, they yes. changed colour when it got a bit warm. And I also had yeah. a pair of hyper colour in the 90s, everyone wore cycling shorts. What was yeah. going on there? But I had a pair of hypercolour cycling shorts, hypercolour t-shirt, and it was a disco, the drama club that we were both members of. It was a disco. There were boys there. And I was dancing away, getting a bit sweaty. And of course, the <laughs> undercarriage area was heating up. Oh, no! So I ended up with a kind of V-shaped, you know, different colour patch on my cycling shorts. <laughs> had to keep going to the toilet to, oh, to cool no. down. Absolutely mortified. Fanning yourself down below. Fanning my fanny. Fanning your fanny. I remember you in that outfit. I don't remember the sweaty lady garden, um, but I do remember you in that outfit. Was it like a purpley colour? Yes, yes. I remember you in that. Oh my God, having a yeah. sweaty lady area at a party at 14. When you're just at your most... Vulnerable. Awkward. Yes. And vulnerable, yeah. You went to a girls' school as well, didn't you? So What are you saying? Accusatory tone. <laughs> That you were rampant. Um, that just the fact that you probably weren't... Uh, well, obviously at workshop you used to being around boys, but a party. Oh, yeah. Boys were another species. Yeah, and, and, and that's the sort of time where you're starting to kind of think, oh, he's quite nice or she's quite nice. And, oh, look at my foof. I've got a sweaty triangle. It's just not good. Would you say that the girls you went to school with did turn out to be quite rampant and wild? Yeah, absolutely off the scale. Right, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of young people are quite rampant when they get let loose. Yeah. At least they were in the 1990s. I don't know what everyone's (laughs) like now. Um... (laughs) (laughs) And now, on the LifeSap channel, a preview of a new programme coming to your screens tomorrow. If you live that long. (laughs) 
Are you ashamed of your glory hole? Do you like to stuff it until it's fit to bursting? Is it hard to look at without wincing? Then you need a good clear out. It's time to declutter with Sparks Joy. I'm Barbara Sparks. And I'm Pamela Clagsworth. Joy. I'm Joy Clagsworth. No, no, you're still Pamela Pamela. I'm Pamela Pamela. You're Pamela Joy, as in Sparks Joy. Oh, never mind. Let's take a flutter on a declutter with Sparks Joy. Clagsworth. If you were only allowed to do one hobby or have one extracurricular activity... For the rest of your life, by extracurricular, I mean not cooking, cleaning, anything of that sort. Not that anyone would pick cleaning, maybe they would. But if you could only have one hobby for the rest of your life that would give you joy and you couldn't do any other hobby, what would it be, Esther? My thing would be writing and telling stories and acting. And that's literally that's too it. many. It's Well, it's the same. It's storytelling then. Storytelling okay, in okay, some good. capacity. And it would just be that, which is what I do every day. But I don't really have any hobbies. I just, that is my thing. That's all I think yeah. about pretty much. And I should, I could probably do with some hobbies um, because I don't really tend to do anything other than think about that kind of thing. Well, no, if it gives you joy and it's, and you do, and, it and it's lots of different capacities, then I think it is, it is, it's a hobby. And if you're, and you're lucky enough to do your hobby for a living. Yes. So, yeah. So yeah. That's good. So you'll be making yeah. money at the same time. Exactly. So it's like a kinder egg working on every level. Extra surprises and gifts within it. <laughs> oh, I'd love a kinder egg. What about you, Suze? Well, I'd, I put two things because one was quite facetious. I just thought you could only have one. No, but I, I know because I'm going to cancel the first one out. I'm just going to say it. The first thing that came to my head was making a podcast with Esther. Um, oh, I know, isn't that sweet? Well, you see, that would be involved in mine. You well, see, you you've got too many. The same thing. You're just, but no, but I mean, it's it's storytelling, it's communication, <laughs> but it's but it's but to me, the podcast falls in that. Does that but not you, count? That's, that means you've got too many things there. You're making a podcast. You're writing. You're acting. You're, you're doing it all. It's all okay. Communication is my favourite hobby. Lower your expectations here. <laughs> communicate. You communicate. <laughs> <laughs> which can involve having chats <laughs> let's just say chatting and making podcasts chatting. um yeah but then i thought okay that is a bit too sickly sweet so i'm gonna say um i would i would choose singing with other people yeah that's a good um, chat. i don't mean other people just like not esther i mean other people <laughs> uh, in a group group singing activities essentially singing in a choir um or singing maybe in a pair. I don't know. Singing with an Anne or more other people. Um, Do you know, I thought that you would say singing. <laughs> I, I wrote down Susie will say singing. and But that is that is so brilliant, though, because I, actually I would like to try singing in a group. I, I'd considered it for a, a while, but I ran a drama school that ran in the evenings. And I just I can't commit yeah. to another night. But I loved, I, there's something so oh it's, tingly, it is, isn't there, it's, about it's singing. Like, it's it's energizing it's um it's life affirming it is joyful it's really good for you it prolongs your life um and that's scientifically mm. proven by the way i can't quote any Whoa. particular source but, <laughs> but i know <laughs> it is um and uh and it's just a fun thing to do isn't it and song you know there's so many different genres and um yeah yeah i i just i love it if i could have my time again i'd probably i'd want to be a singer um, and a podcast and I'm just making podcasts with you yes brilliant correct answer to ching so what's your favorite style of singing um I like to sing in the style of scatting um, yeah. <laughs> in the style of Mariah Carey after <laughs> after inhaling helium um no <laughs> scatting scatting I can hear you now I'm, I'm actually a, 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 a Excellent, as you can hear, rap artist. Uh, 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 excellent. <laughs> Spin the wheel. Okay, no, um, probably not that. I, ah, oh, it's. I probably would go for classical or folk. Yes. I'm. I'm torn at the moment between my two loves: classical music and folk music. Hello, I'm a complete geek. Do 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 do. I've accepted it now. Um, but folk music is. Uh, well actually fits in with your hobby because it's 
for me it's storytelling um yeah and, and the most i think more than any other genre apart from probably opera or musicals because they are telling a story but the uh, um the folk music tell always nearly always tells a story from the beginning to the end and and progresses um and I know most songs do that, but there's something quite fundamental about it in folk music, I think. And it taps into something within me that I love. And classical music is just so wonderful and oh, takes your breath away. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very uh, emotive, isn't it, classical yeah. music? It takes you on a real journey. And actually, I was talking to my husband the other day, I was listening to the Pina Colada song, which <laughs> took me a long time to realise what, that was about and that is such a good story within a song Uh, so it's about a guy who is bored with his wife bored with his life and he puts an ad in a newspaper to meet a woman who likes swimming in the ocean and drinking champagne and she's not into yoga and all that kind of thing and he arranges to meet this woman so he can have an affair and when he gets there it's his wife (gasps) and she wants the same things and basically it's about the breakdown of communication within their marriage that they've become stale together but it turns out they they still love each other and they're still on the right path they just it was just sort of a, a breakdown in communication and I just thought I love that and it's not often you hear songs now that have been made recently mm. that do really tell a story from beginning to end. But yeah. you're right, folk music really does that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think, and that, yes. And a lot of times you don't, with pop songs, it's hard sometimes to hear, isn't it? What they're yes, actually singing yeah. about. So, um, <laughs> yes, diction, Grandma, it is. excuse me, young people. <laughs> I want you to enunciate <laughs> so I can work out what you're singing about. That I might Very that I might choose to sing your songs with my elderly choir. <laughs> Smack my bitch up. I mean, yeah, our recent references are <laughs> yes. so so thirty years ago. Um, yes, <laughs> because I'm particularly down with the kids. Oh yeah, Smack my bitch Cliff up. Richard or the WAP song. The WAP song that, that would be good. You know so much more than me, Esther. What is this? I've got a fourteen-year-old, so oh, yeah, um, yeah. and I used to run a drama school full okay. of young people. So I'm, I'm, I was still very current up until about twelve months ago, and now I'm slowly fading out <laughs> of what I know. Uh, the WAP song is something that I think you'd probably need to Google. I don't think I could tell you what WAP okay. stood for on this show. Waps. Well, I probably could, but WAP uh, out. Well, no, close but lower down. Oh, dear. oh, whoa, God, <laughs> my, my, my mind's gone. <laughs> Some really dark places there. Yeah. Uh, well, it would be dark. Okay, as a hidden, <laughs> hidden away. Hidden little money box. Oh, good grief. Let's move on. Um, yes. Right. I mean, yes. Okay. There's you and your choir. There you go. Thank you. Esther then told Susie what WAP stands for. Don't worry, she didn't tell me. And this was Susie's reaction. <laughs> we interrupt this programme with a Yule Bash. In her book, The Magic of Tidying, Marie Kondo advocates the rule that you keep nothing in your house that does not spark joy. I have read this book three times and have subsequently decluttered my husband. To great effect. Goodbye. So, yeah, for me, it is really boring, but it's storytelling and communication. So it's it's doing this, it's writing, it's acting, it's making projects. No, I know, but that's a lot of but things. But to me, it's one. It's just a form of communication. But I get what you're saying. It is a lot of things. I was just being, I was being devil's advocate for jokes. But that's, but but you're right, it is more than one. But to me, it sort of is like. No, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You haven't yes. got a hobby, have you? No, sad, I haven't sad. got any, a life outside. Sad character. Sad, sad woman. <laughs> I need to start singing. I actually did a two-hour intensive absolute beginner's fiddle course on Saturday. <laughs> fiddle as in a musical instrument, not the other type. Um, <laughs> I mean, whatever floats your boat. We're back to the WAP song. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yes, I can play a scale, the scale of D major on... A fiddle, aka violin. I'm pretty impressed with myself. That's so cool. Did you do it on Zoom? Yeah, over Zoom. There's about 15 of us, and there's another two hours next Saturday, and that, then that's it. I'm off. I'm off to the pubs to, you, <laughs> to perform. And you actually did it. You didn't mime along like I used to with a recorder in the back of my music lessons. Oh, I used to do that with my trombone as well. Oh, yeah. did you? Oh Just gosh, which is ridiculous. It. Because yeah. you think 
I mean, everyone can see you. They can hear that there's no sound coming out. I used to do it with the recorder. I just used to try and copy other people's fingers and just barely blow. And singing in assembly, everyone always sang too high for me. So I would sort of just mouth along. It's sad. It is sad because I actually do like singing. So you're going to go fiddling in pubs soon? I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going to learn another scale and then I'm off. I'm going to sing folk songs and and fiddle. Will you? For money. Will you go into pubs uh, and, and sing? Uh, well, not straight away. I mean... Wait for COVID to end. Well, um, maybe wait for myself to get a bit of talent and expertise in it. <laughs> I mean, I've only played it once. Well, I think aim high. Maybe I should just do it. You can start off by playing for me. All right, well, I'll, I'll uh, tell you what. When I've learned to tune, I'll play yes. it on <gasps> this very podcast. That's And we'll great. give people adequate warning so they can just... Skip ahead for, for 30 seconds. <laughs> or replay it. it. Well, yes. Or maybe we'll release it. Maybe I can release an album. Yes. In time for Christmas. Fiddling. Fiddles. Fiddling with riddles. Fiddling with Riddler. Riddling. Fiddler on the Riddler. <laughs> the Riddler. Riddler Fiddler. Riddler on the roof. to move on no well um, um I, I think oh i know yes you're gone no you go oh, oh, oh i've got <laughs> welcome to sparks joy we've got our first decluttering challenge today i'll start by saying who lives in a house like this pamela me it's a shocker isn't it whoever lives here really doesn't have a clue about style Taste, self-restraint. I mean, who would have a life-size statue of you in their living room, Pamela? Me. It's my house, Barbara. Oh, good God, Pamela. It's dreadful. I hadn't had you pegged as a massive hoarder. What on earth is all that stuff? There must be over 100 boxes piled high in here. We need to burn it all immediately. It's your memorabilia, Barbara. Of yourself. You asked me to store it for you ten years ago as you didn't want it clogging up your area. Well, that's fine then. That memorabilia does spark joy. I've burnt some of it and danced naked around flames. Sorry, did you say something, Pamela? No, Barbara. Spark's top tip for stress-free decluttering. Find a stooge friend to store your clutter for you. That way, your house stays light and bright and they can feel glad they're finally doing something useful. Next week, we'll learn how to colour code rice. It's bye for now from me... Barbara Sparks and me, Pamela Clagsworth. Joy. <clears throat> Make sure you have a good old rummage through your jumble. See you next time. What's that burning smell, Pamela? I think it might be your certificate for swimming ten lengths in March 1983. Oh, right. <gasps> They're going to get him back from the dead for Line of Duty <laughs> zombie edition. Yeah, <laughs> like the Bobby Ewing of, of Line of Duty. Greg comes out of the shower and he was never really dead. Surely Greg won't know who Bobby no, Ewing is, I don't Esther. So. You've heard, do you know Dallas, Greg? You know Dallas. Dallas? He's no. Just, no. He'd come off oh the air about 20 God. years before he was born. <laughs> Have you not heard of Dallas? Uh, no. <laughs> through these strange old times that we're living through, one of the things that has brought us together and brought us joy is television. From normal people to I May Destroy You to It's a Sin, TV has been a place for us to escape into. And one show has particularly brought us all together over the last 10 years, Line of Duty. 
So we are delighted that today's guest is a little tyke on the bike who went from being in charge of the burner phones for the OCG and who grew into the babyface murdering Bent Copper with the evil stare who had the audacity to try and take on D.I. Kate Fleming. Yes, that's right. We are joined by the brilliantly evil Ryan Pilkington, also known as the actually incredibly lovely Gregory Piper. Please note that this conversation does contain Line of Duty spoilers, so if you've not seen it yet, what the hell have you been doing with your lives? Welcome to the show, Gregory Piper. Greg, thank you so much for coming on Limited Time Only. We are absolutely thrilled to have you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, we hope you feel the same at the end of the interview. Um, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we've got so much to talk about, but my first question is, um, how how do you sleep at night? <laughs> <laughs> All right, actually, I'm quite a heavy sleeper. <laughs> Spoken like Good. a true sociopath. <laughs> well... We'll, we will absolutely get on to um, that program. I can't remember its name, but the sub program that you were in. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we will talk about that. <laughs> That's fine, yeah. <laughs> a bit later. But first of all, it would just be lovely to chat to you about how how it all started and sort of wh- when your first experience of um, of acting was, what, what yeah. do you remember about that as a, as a child? Yeah, in my primary school, one of the end shows, I think I was in year four, um, the end of year show was Bugsy Malone and they were holding auditions, kind of auditions. And, and, and they knew I was a bit hyperactive as a kid anyway. <laughs> so um, they saw me for that and they really wanted me in. So normally, obviously, like year fours wouldn't really be any kind of speaking roles in it. But they wanted me to play Babyface. So oh, wow. and that was my first ever thing really and I absolutely loved it and I just got a really nice and good response from all the teachers and stuff so then the next year it was it just kind of I was always in it which was really really nice and then for my year six end of year six play we did the Lion King and I got Simba so and then after that it was just okay I think I really I really like this and my mom was like you need to do this extracurriculum because we knew that it wouldn't kind of be in high school especially at the start of high school and stuff like that. So, And then we looked for a class and found Esther's, and then I came to Esther's. Yeah, yeah you see, this, this is a bit, this is a weird old interview for me because I, <laughs> I know Greg very well, and I was yeah. Greg's drama teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's so, we're so interwoven that yeah. I don't quite know how to go about this interview <laughs> because Greg is basically like my family member now. Yeah. And uh, so... It's, it's a bit weird to take a step back in this interview. So Susie might lead yeah. this section. Yeah, no worries, no worries. <laughs> and you you loved it from that from that stage. So your and your mum your mum encouraged you. That's really yes. lovely as well. That yeah, she yeah, yeah. saw that in you. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we were quite heavily into sport as well. So I always thought my mum was the right level of pushy. So so yeah, she because I, I could have been a bit lazy with it as well. So her pushing me to go into Esther's class was brilliant. Yeah. Do you know what? As well, I, I I've told I have told Greg this, but. I started the class in um, 2010 and I'd run it for two terms and then I started an older class and um, there was nobody in it. There were like five people in it and Greg came along and I thought, because it was just me and five kids and um, and it was brilliant, but it was obviously wasn't going to be everyone's cup of tea because it was quite small. And Greg came in with his mum and I thought, oh God, I don't know whether this boy is going to like this class. Uh, and then when he came in, I just remember doing this scene where one of the kids, it was an improvisation and one of the kids was teaching and Greg was in the class and he was in the scene and he did wasn't saying loads but he was sharpening his pencils and I couldn't take my eyes off, off him imaginary sharpening his pencils he was so invested in this scene that he was literally in the classroom and and then he did some brilliant sketches and I remember his mum coming up to speak to me afterwards and I spoke to her in like the foyer type area and I said to her whatever it is he has it and um and and you did you just fitted straight in and then you came back the next week and Oh, and then you. the audition yeah, came through. I remember it being big. Do <laughs> like you? walking in, yeah, yeah. Like six people, I thought, God, there's a lot of people in that room. <laughs> oh, God, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the other group, groups were about, well, they it got to be a huge thing, but the other groups were sort of 20 or 30 kids in the room, yeah, and then that yeah. one was like five or six. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember that first session that you had at, at yeah, the summer workshop? Yeah, I remember um, my stepmom and my mom 
were watching because they stayed because yeah. I, was, I was extremely nervous obviously so yeah it was comforting that they kind of stayed but then at like a workshop session always like you just got really invested in it and lost in it so you forget then oh your, your parents are watching so it was yeah. really really nice yeah amazing oh that's lovely yeah and um and what what's esther like as a as a tutor <laughs> awful oh, absolutely awful. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i can i can believe that <laughs> no amazing amazing all, all um always had loads of energy we all had the energy from that as well and i just absolutely loved all the games and things and when you start to pinpoint the the fact that the games are helping you out of your acting, it was even more just impressive and amazing. So I just loved it. I fell in love with it. Yeah. Aww. Esther wrote um, a, a play, basically incorporating all of us into it. It was amazing. And uh, that was very exciting. Knowing that something was being written for you as well was pretty cool. Oh. Oh, yeah. We did lovely. that at the rep, didn't we? The yeah. Birmingham rep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, did you do? Did you study drama at... Um, at college or yes yes yeah. so um i went to studley college and mm-hmm. we uh did a b-tech there uh, for two years and then we also did a hnc and a hnd there as well so um that college was fantastic like um loads of opportunities and we we always kind of put on a show and decided oh okay we're just going to do an extra show because we can so it was that kind of place it was it was you really were so lovely. enthusiastic yeah yeah yeah, doing yeah. Extra work. yeah that's brilliant thrive. isn't it as well because you've got they've got i know there's brilliant facilities there but but that so that you can do that and go do you yeah. know what this is going really well let's do another one yeah what exactly a, what an amazing yeah. thing it was amazing amazing and when and when you were you know you're studying drama and you had an did you have an eye at that point you thought this is what I'm going to do yeah when yeah you were in college yeah I mean there's a lot of um, you kind of speak to people and they say about how hard being an actor is so you've always got that on your shoulder so I think um, kind of I was very cautious moving forward with it and deciding because if I wanted to do it you know and then you yeah, and then it was so hard that I failed I'd be so gutted so I was trying to be really really cautious with it but I think. I don't think I could have done anything else. Do you know what I mean? Like you haven't got a choice. Sometimes, haven't got a choice. Have exactly. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And, and is there is there anyone? I mean, obviously Esther um, has been a, a huge um, influence and yeah. um, positive sort of power yeah. in your um, <laughs> your acting <laughs> credentials. But 100%. is there anyone else? Uh, is there anyone you look up to in terms of um, actors or anyone uh, you know at college? Yeah. Um, I think Andy Wilson, who was our uh, college tutor. Um, he was so lovely and so nurturing and just let us grow and things like that. So he was always amazing. Um, I think as a- a- in terms of actors, like there's so, so many to pull on, isn't there? I mean, especially yeah, yeah. going through Line of Duty with me, mm. you know, Kelly McDonald, Vicky McClure, Martin Comps, like Adrian Dunbar, they're all insane. And it was so amazing to watch them all. And obviously, straight away, you look up to them. And then other actors on many different shows and all their performances are fantastic. So I think there's just, it's it's hard to pick out one, isn't it? There's such a variety of amazing talent out there. So, yeah. Was there ever an actor when you were young that you would, that you'd look at on television or mm. film and think, I want to be like them? Yeah, I think um, Johnny Depp was oh, okay. always someone when I was younger, just because of our family really liked him as well. Um, and... So it was kind of Hollywood people as well. Um, but yeah, there was a lot. There was because of how much my family likes films as well. There was quite a variety of people we watched. So there was many people really that we kind of looked up to. Well, yeah. yeah, Johnny Depp's quite a, a chameleon really, isn't he? And he's quite, yeah. a, he's a, so, he always surprises. Yes, exactly. And such a character actor, like he's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So, so amazing to watch. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I was just thinking as you were talking, I was thinking, well, I bet there's a lot of young actors now going oh i really like to be like greg, greg Piper. <laughs> he's great <Don't> know <laughs> <laughs> oh, i bet there are um no i mean we we have mentioned the title of that show mm-hmm. line of duty yes <laughs> <That's> so <exciting. laughs> oh goodness um and we did put the call out on um, social media i know you did as well greg yes, so thank you very much for that right. um asking uh, the audience for any questions about um you know your time in line of duty which spanned Three seasons, in fact. Yes. So you were in three seasons, Three you? seasons, yeah. One, five um, and six, yeah. Which is amazing. Um, so there are absolutely... I mean, we are going to be here... I hope everyone listening, you've got a good five hours to, to listen because that's how long we, we can probably talk about Line of Duty. I can literally talk about it all day. Um, 
We have got millions and millions of questions, Brilliant. so we're going to have to be selective. So if your question yeah. doesn't get read, I do apologise. Um, <laughs> but it's just it just goes to show what an impact Line of Duty had on had and has on people's lives, and also how loved your character was because yeah. this this season. I know, um, obviously, in season one there was a lot of talk, and and I'm and about your character, and there were issues around the, some of the things you had to do. In fact, I remember Radio Five Live phoning me and some newspapers to get a quote from me about what I thought about it because you looked younger than you were. You were thirteen, but you yeah. were quite small when you yes. were thirteen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then in in series five, it sort of felt like Ryan was being. Um, left as a little trail of breadcrumbs for people to work out who he was which I thought was brilliant you didn't have to you weren't put on a plate for everyone to go oh this is the boy from series one people started piecing it together and then to have that bombshell at the end where you joined the police force you just knew it was going to be electric this series for your character and then your character just blew up this series it was (laughs) brilliant and was so I mean, considering he was, I think I read that somebody said, a lot of people said this, that you were so hated, but equally loved because everyone knew that you were a brilliant actor. And from interviews, everyone could tell what a lovely person you were, but you were, I mean, you were everywhere. You were being papped and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very mental. I know. (laughs) Which which must have been so weird. Yeah, very weird. Very weird. How is it? How has it felt? I mean, it's hard hard to describe. Yeah. I mean, with the paparazzi, like, with I, th- I was with my girlfriend. We were both thinking that it was someone trying to get a picture of a bird because, like, you just—it's not in your head that someone's there to take a picture of you just doing a mundane, you know, getting out the car. It was so so strange. It, it, this is in Starbridge. Do you have yeah. an exotic? Uh, very bird. exotic, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. It was just <laughs> lo- a lovely, like, very colourful bird that flew past. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, probably get in there. And then we thought about it and was like, that's, you know, <laughs> probably not the case. Mainly, I had just loads of positive messages. Like, it was so, so yeah. lovely. People's, it was just, you know, you'd have people shouting kind of Ryan's lines at me and things like that. But everyone was being like, really nice bent, and supportive. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know if I could say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was such a nice, lovely, positive response online. I think that's kind of the main thing I had from it, you know. When you were 13 and, and filming the first series, um, that must have been quite, that's quite a different experience of, did, did, were people, did anyone recognise you after yeah, filming that? Um, it was mainly like, I, I mainly remember the buzz in school um people not knowing it was line of duty kept calling it call of duty and things like that so but then obviously that changed and caught on (laughs) um and then yeah not not necessarily outside of school because i felt like i could look very different really easily Mm. um yeah so i i I noticed it mainly with these these last two series so yeah yeah, people people noticing it it was it was very strange (laughs) going back to the school thing we've had we had a couple of questions from james who said um how did being in line of duty affect your popularity at school did you gain extra friends or did people become (laughs) <laughs> quite scared of you and also he wanted to know what it was like having to be a child saying and doing those things mm-hmm. and did you find some of the scenes disturbing to film okay um in high school um i suppose i suppose i was a little bit quiet so um def- definitely with the attention of me being in something it, it uh, attracted other other people in social groups maybe that i wouldn't speak to um but it kind of, I kind, of, I think I stayed where I was really, to be honest, in yeah. in terms of that that kind of ladder. Um, what was the second part of the question? The second question was, what was it like having to being a child having to say the swear words and yeah. and filming some of those scenes? Was it disturbing for yeah. you? I think the way my household, like how I grew up in my house, was just we, it, it was um, like we were allowed to watch things because I suppose we, you know, we took them in the right way. We knew not to repeat them and blah blah blah. So yeah. being on set and having the approval of my mom was just <laughs> like, oh, brilliant! I can just, you know, go to town and uh, nothing, nothing affected me. Like I think, I think it was because of how open my family were with watching things and talking about it and being supportive around it. I, I, yeah, I, I was, I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was just brilliant, a positive experience. <laughs> that- that's quite interesting. I hadn't really thought about that in terms of chi- being a child actor on a program like that, which is a gro- you know, it's an adult program. Yeah. Um, and there are scenarios. I mean, there was the 
the awful one where the chap was hanging from the yes the lamp post yeah 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 and yeah. you came by and took the phone out of his pocket or yeah, something. yeah yeah i mean i haven't watched that for years <laughs> just come back to me but i do because i just i mean you were um, you were, you're electric in that and you're Thank 30 you. it's just incredible but was there support i know your mum was there which yeah. is great yeah w- was other support offered to you or your your mum in terms of you know I a think, child dealing with those scenarios yeah it was just like there were so many people on set, everyone talking about it, um, mm. directors being really supportive and, and talking to you about what's going to happen and how we're going to set up the next shot and things like that. So it just felt so controlled, mm. like it didn't feel real, like yeah. obviously it was meant to and, and, and things like that. But, you know, you'd you'd have the guy up there and he'd, he'd you know, be looking at you smiling and stuff. And it just didn't feel like that at all. It felt very, very controlled because of how many people, you know, are around yeah. the scene. So, yeah. And so tell us about your audition, your first auditions first for Line of Duty audition. when you were 13. Um, so, yeah, audition came through um, a workshop and I know a couple of us went for it um, and it was in Birmingham and you speak to people and they're like, oh, you know, you're going to go through loads of auditions as an actor. So, you know, just do the audition, do the best you can and completely forget about it. So I just tried to do that. Um, you know, really nervous about having a script in my hand because I'm dyslexic. So, you know, I wasn't very confident with that. Um, but I'd go over it and stuff and then in the room, uh, go through the script. And then after that, um, they asked me to do some improv and to kind of like push them and bully them and things like that. So I did a bit of that um, and felt 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 really nice, felt good about like how I didn't have to learn like, like I didn't have to repeat the lines I learned and stuff like that. So I felt quite confident as a kid doing that and then came out and thought, oh, that was really, really brilliant. You know, my first audition, uh, I'm glad that went really well and I genuinely forgot about it because, <laughs> you know, you get told to. So yeah, I was like, forget about it. And then and then just heard heard trickles coming through about how oh okay they really liked you and um you know, you're in, you're in, you're actually getting down to the final few now and and then um I think I was on holiday in France with my family and we got yeah. told that I got the part and it was just and then it was just so surreal it was it was really hard to, it, it's hard to 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 explain like how you felt like it just felt really really surreal how long was it between find out you got the part and filming and what happened in that time. Susie, I can answer that question oh. because it was very short and was it? it was and it was a chuffing nightmare. Because, um, Greg, as he, so what happened was um, a guy called Ross, who Susie and I both know, Ross Berkeley Simpson, we went to a workshop with him. Um, we went to ITV workshop when we were growing up and he was running a workshop in Birmingham and he phoned me saying, do you have any boys who are over 16 who could play this part in this new television series. And I said, I haven't got any over 16s, but I've got a bloody brilliant 13-year-old. And he was like, no, he's just got to be over 16 and look younger. And I said, no, see if you can get him in the room. So he did. But then when Ross phoned me to say, Greg's got the part, Greg was in France. Now you can't work without a child license. Could we get a child license? (laughs) I remember... Ross in particular was sorting it out, but I remember phoning the doctors and I remember speaking to your mum because if we couldn't get a doctor to sign anything off yeah. within a few days, he was going to lose the part. Yeah, yeah. So um, Ross did a lot of battling on that and I remember speaking to the doctor and I remember speaking to your mum and yeah. I just remember Ross and I having lots of conversations about this boy cannot lose this role. It could be life-changing for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was hell because it was a quick turnaround, yeah. but it happened, obviously. Yeah, it, I remember it was, it was very frustrating getting that doctor's letter yeah, um, they couldn't really, get one. Really they wouldn't difficult. sign it. They, no. they just were very dismissive of it. Yeah, really, really dismissive. And then I ended up going up with my dad and they were like, um, we'll have it for 20 quid. And then and then that was it. And then it was just done. The yeah. amount of stress and, and yes. headache yeah. over that. And then it was over in like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. You used to was... rock up there in person and yeah. give them your death step. <laughs> and then... Uh... As 13 <laughs> year old. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you practice it. That's what you channel, yeah. is it, for the yes. later series? Yeah. I Doctor's wouldn't have messed with Ryan at age 13, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like when you got on set, when, you, you know, the first time when you got there and you met everybody? Did you recognise anybody or, or were they all new faces to you? Yeah, I was um, extremely, extremely nervous. So I, I remember a lot of that. So yeah, I just remember being really, really nervous for it and kind of thinking, you know, acting, this is why I'm here, this is why I'm here. Um, but obviously my mum went through kind of everyone that was there. So I did kind of recognise a few people. 
Um, and then like the more you watch them, the more I think it just comes back to how like I was in awe of them, like of how Martin was preparing for the bulk scene. It was just fantastic to watch him prepare for that. What was he really doing? To the space. He was just he just removed himself like uh, Lenny James would remove himself and just he really set himself into the, the zone of the scene. And then and then he'd come in and he'd, he'd be like a different person. Like it was abs- it was fantastic to watch. Does he revert to his normal Scottish accent or does he stay in his London accent when he's filming? He stays in his London accent to, you know, to keep it up. But yeah. the more I remember now, so like in season six, he's obviously more confident with it. So he drops out more. But he tends to stay in because he's he wants to get the accent right, doesn't he? So he stays yeah, stays in it a lot. But yeah, but then there are sometimes he drops out and you kind of say to yourself, "Oh yeah, he's Scottish." <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never know, would you? No, I know. No, he's brilliant. He's yeah, so good at it. So you did season one, and then what happened in between those interim years before you came back for series five? So um, I got an agent from season one, and. Um, went uh, for a few auditions and things like that and um it just kind of died down a bit like it all went a bit quiet so I was going through school and everything as well so just kind of working my way up through there and I always had this agent but it was it was a bit quiet so um went into college and then through college kind of gearing up I suppose to to, to leave college and, and go into the big wide world <laughs> so um at the end of college and then that's how lucky I was to just get that other call for series five so and then and then obviously it all kicked off from there again yeah so Andrea um one of our our listeners has wrote and said we really love we love line of duty and we watched you grow from a young boy into a young man albeit in a period of about three weeks because we binge watched the entire five seasons <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Quite a, a rapid growth spurt yeah. there uh, she said what was your experience working on the same production as an adult from being a child yeah was that a strange jump but yeah it was mainly like just understanding everything like you know you, you as a kid you've you've like from workshop you understand a scene and you understand you know the story and the context and things like that so you're working with that but then as you're older you just kind of understand more of it don't you so mm. it's almost like you you've been awoken to more of it do you know what i mean mm. so yeah you understand all of the yeah. the crew in the set and how things work and and i suppose you have more of the context in your head of the story and things like that cuz I suppose you can be, you can think of the scene as a kid um, and think of, you know, maybe what was just before it or just and, and what's just going to yes. be after it. But then as as an adult, you can kind of, you have more of the story in your head, don't you, to tie it together. Yes. Yeah. And was it, was it quite nice to go back into that kind of family? Yeah, definitely. Because I, I never thought I'd see that kind of world again. Like it was, it was incredible to think, oh my God, I'm going to go back to that. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was, I was just so lucky, so, so lucky to, to have no, almost no worries as a kid as well on the set to, and, but, but not fully understanding maybe everything and then, and then understanding more, but having more kind of, oh, I'm a bit more nervous now and a bit more aware. So it was lovely to have kind of those two experiences. Yes. It's it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because I can't recall a time where this has ever happened in a television show. I think it's a stroke of genius by Jed to have this amazing young actor who's 13, but then to bring back the same actor in such a beloved series 10 years later and then blow him up and make him this incredible... He's not blown up if you haven't seen <laughs> in the series, um, but just sort of like make him this huge character within the series. And I think... That's one of the things that really the audience connected with, not just your performance, but it was it was kind of mind blowing to think that's a little yeah. kid on the bike. And then there you are as this adult. And just the whole story behind that was, I think yeah. it was a stroke of genius. Yes. Well done, Jeff. <laughs> Had he been planning that all along, um, no, Greg? He didn't. No. he didn't plan that all along, no. I think I, I found out um, that they were thinking about bringing me back about May. And then obviously we filmed in September. So from finding out in May that, oh, okay, maybe Ryan wants to 
he's going to come back and maybe it'll be me. They were like, um, are you still acting? Do you want to, you know, send over a tape and things like that? So it was very much, uh, oh my God, I need to <laughs> get everything together because <laughs> of uh, how exciting yeah. you know, it was for all of it to start kicking up again. It was amazing. And was it just, did you just have to send a tape and then they went, yeah, you're, you're fine, you can still act. <laughs> or sent... did you have to, <laughs> have to do a few auditions or how did that work? Uh, I sent a tape. Me and Ross worked on the tape and then, uh, and then I had to meet them. So I met with uh, John Strickland and Jed Bercurio and Daniel Edwards in uh, yeah. London and then kind of go over the scene there and then they kind of tweaked and, and told me more about where Ryan actually is now. And then after that, yeah, I got the part, which is insane. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely. We've got we've got quite a few questions here that have come through about Line of Duty. Yes. Um, so um, one of them is from Tasha Rat. I hope I'm saying that right. That's her his or her handle name on, yeah. on Twitter. What was your favourite scene to film in Line of Duty? I think I love the big action scenes. I, mm. I always love the, uh, as horrible as it is, the bolt cutter scene, but just because of the memories of that and how young I was. And I think I I absolutely loved the my last scene um, with the standoff and ha- 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 yes. who that was against. <gasps> how it was against Vicky McClure and Kelly McDonald in the scene that was just like a dream come true. It was m- amazing. Um, but only a small scene. I, l- I loved filming the small scene where uh, Ryan's intimidating Joe and he says, uh, for being a rat, ma'am. I think that was... Yeah. I loved filming that little scene of, of how small it was. Just, I really liked... Sounds quite sadistic, but I really liked how intimidated Joe would be in that situation and how how powerful Ryan is at that point. I, I love that scene. I, I, only a small scene, but I, I love that scene. You were chilling and somebody, uh, Hazel said, uh, how do you channel such evil? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just remember like Ryan, he, he's in such a precarious situation, isn't he? He's surrounded by all of the police. So he's he's so sincere in the fact that he needs to keep people down. He needs to be doing what he's doing, you know, to keep, to continue. Yeah. So I suppose it's that intensity, isn't it? It's that drive. It's the, you need to be kind of in your place at the moment for everything to work. And I think he'd be scared a bit as well, like of, of lots of feelings he'd have. I think there's always an underlying bit of, he's a, he's a bit scared. So trying to control everything as yeah. well. Yeah. That's good because there's a question actually from a, somebody called Ricky Orr on Twitter and who's basically asking that even though he was a complete... Um, oh, he's, he's asterisked right. it all out. We know what we, yeah, we, get, we, we get. <laughs> Did you ever come up with any redeemable qualities for Ryan? Because we never particularly... Obviously, when he was a little boy, we knew that he came from yes. a tough household and was quite yeah. neglected. But did you sort of find a vulnerable yeah. side to him? I think, I think the vulnerable side is that, isn't it? It's the... The being groomed yeah. into it and um, him having almost no choice, you know, so because of the people he's surrounded by and things like that. So I think that's why he's so, you know, he hasn't got any of those features later on. It's because of all the people he's been surrounded by. I think I think it's that, isn't it? It's the who was vulnerable at the start yes. and then it turned him into who he was. Well, I think and I think your skill was that you actually, you could see that that slight essence of humanity when he was being nice and when he was being normal. I mean, obviously he was, he was acting, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, you thought, well, look, there's the, there's the kernel of a young man yeah. who could have been very different, right, but yeah. he's been led, he's been groomed, as you say, yeah. down this path. And, um, and he's terrified. He's, he, yeah. could, he could be just, he just could be shot yeah. in a minute yeah. by this, the OCG. OCG, get my yelled. <laughs> <in there>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and I think that's what people and and people, yeah, warmed to him. Yeah, I mean, I I have never ever seen a, a, a stare like you did. I, I think it was if there was an award for best death stare in the whole world, oh, you would definitely you. win it. It's absolutely bloody brilliant. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but the scene with you. Um, with you and Vicky McClure with the guns, yeah. you know, the, the standoff. Yeah. I watched that about six times in a row oh, because yeah. I just thought it was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen on television. Oh, amazing. I'm, I'm getting, I'm actually getting excited just thinking about yeah. it. Now I can feel my, <laughs> I can feel my heart going. It was, it was stunning. 
Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving me heart palpitations. But I, I wanted to ask you about the scenes, the stunt sort of stunt scenes. I know mm-hmm. that one we had guns and things. So, yeah. Well, there's two that spring to mind. The, the, the reservoir yeah. um, scene, which mm-hmm. I'd love to hear how, how you filmed that yes, and how yeah. that worked. And also, I'd love to hear about uh, when you, um, you, slit, you slit Stephen Graham's throat. So the um, Stephen Graham scene, the technicalities was that um, it was a lot of tubing that was kind of um, down your sleeve and then goes down your trouser leg and then would go off to the side and then there would be uh, a guy with a big pump. <laughs> so that's where all of that came from. And then it would be like lots of different shots where there'd be some some blood on the, the knife. So it's mainly on the knife. And then other, and then it would be another knife that would be connected to the pipes that would be a trigger. So it would kind of squirt out the blood then. And then there'd be more with more with makeup on uh, Stephen's uh, neck and throat and then they'd top it up with a bit of like CGI um, right and then the Stephen Graham did it amazingly <laughs> when he fell back um, it would be like uh, prosthetic on his on his throat and then the tube would be here and then the pump would happen and loads and loads of blood would come out and through the prosthetic so obviously it looks like skin and then would just pull around him which is a very uh very um very very powerful and obviously he's on the floor did, dying yes. so oh. so how long would it that how long did that all take i mean we did we did a lot of the scene together so the stunt was at the end because of obviously clothes and changing clothes and stuff like that but um it was the reset that kind of made made uh, was a bit time consuming um, you know, because there's obviously loads to do, isn't it? There, yeah, it's um, loads of blood to clear up. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So it did. It did take a while. It did take a while, and uh, and and we wanted um, Jed wanted a, a a shot, a certain shot. So we kind of wanted to aim for that, you know. So it was. It, it took a while. It took a while. Yeah. Was so, it? Was it? Was it a, a few days or? Um, it was. It was in one day. Right. It was in one day. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it was a it was a late day. <laughs> yeah, and was it? Was, how do you feel? I've never witnessed that much um, right. fake blood. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you get a bit, you know, sick in the mouth, or how does it? I didn't actually. No. Um, sometimes, if I've cut my hand, I, I'll go a bit a bit weird. But with that, yeah, just didn't bother <laughs> me. Like I always remember having a little bit of blood on my lip as a as a kid in line of duty and and tasting it a bit and going, oh, it's like sugar. <laughs> it's just it's just some sugar. So then that's that's all that sticks in my head. It's just dyed sugar. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. on the floor. Yeah. So yeah, keep it yeah. real. Yeah. And so what about the reservoir? The reservoir scene, scene was oh, that was very exciting. So there was um, a big platform underneath the water big square platform and they had shot this stunt before of the stuntman in the car and then going over into the reservoir and so they had the location of where the car would be and then they had another car that was kind of cut in half no engine or anything inside but it was just the kind of uh, back end of the car sticking out of the water and then um so there was quite a, a way from the shore from the car um, and that's kind of where the action happened and there was another stunt that which was where the they would have the car suspended and they'd let the car go. So that's when the car would fully sink under the water. And then so the first time I'd go into the water was with the with the back end of the car still there. And um it was a lot of divers that had um they weren't wet they were dry suits. So they were kind of almost floating on the water, because obviously they're really buoyant, aren't they? Uh, and then I had wetsuit on with like hollowed out jackets, uh, the police jackets and things, which which didn't help with the with the cold. <laughs> the the oh, wetsuit, no. yeah, just retained the cold. <laughs> and then going under the water there is is very like that's very uh, prominent in my head of going under the water because you just uh, uh, I remember going under the water and you had to pause for a minute to let the water settle. As I went under and, and paused, I could feel the water trickling in into my back because I was relatively dry oh. at that point because it was kind of the first time I went in. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that's really, really cold. <laughs> so that really helped kind of bursting up out of the water. And because of how cold it was, like straight away, your breath's gone, hasn't it? And it's yeah. just it was a real struggle yeah. to kind of get to the, the shore, which obviously would have, you know, with all the adrenaline that's going through them. So... 
But also, you were supposed to film it in spring, yeah. because but then because of the pandemic, it was moved to yeah. later in the year, and you were filming yes, in November. Exactly, yeah, so, so it was yeah, yeah, freezing. It was supposed to be filmed in April. Yeah, 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 and it was in November, so it was very chilly. It was like nineteenth of November, so it was oh very, very goodness. cold. Yeah, yeah. I I did see it. I saw a tweet when the, when it all went out on air from Jed Mercurio yes. praising you and the other yeah. actors who were involved in that yeah. scene but particularly you I remember because I think did you have to be in for longer than everybody else with, yeah, in terms was, of filming yeah yeah because I was in and out a lot so um, yeah. yeah there was little three days or something was scene. it three yeah, nights yeah yeah three night shoots yeah yeah I know it was very very lovely of him but yeah yeah it was just <laughs> In and out, in and out, and uh, yeah, We're, you just walk around with with water in your shoes, and you know, you know, so you just you're just constantly cold. It's like you're always in the water. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. They had paramedics on the on the sides, and you know, there was lots of places where it would. They had big tubes of really warm air going into the big, like the main marquee at the back, um, and then there was also like mini um, gazebos up that had like heaters in and stuff so they looked after you but the thought yeah. of slightly warming up by one of those heaters and then thinking okay I'm being called to go back in <laughs> oh, no. and it's like 1am one, 1 <laughs> like, okay <laughs> but it was oh, a lot exciting. of fun it was it was a lot of fun it was very very exciting for so yeah. cool to walk on that set first time and seeing everything set up it was amazing and didn't you record in the Titanic yes, studio as that, well so um that was more of the close-ups and things so yeah there was a day after that was right at the end of the shoot that was in the titanic museum uh titanic studios and um there was a tank that they kind of put up um with like black sheeting all around and then that was slightly heated so that was like a hot tub compared to <laughs> compared to that reservoir uh but yeah that was that was more of the going under going uh like in and out in and out of the water a lot that was kind of in there but um yeah obviously the wide shots establishing shots is all on set on location um I, we've had a question from alex who says um out of all the three leads who was your favorite <laughs> so you had lenny james stephen graham and kelly mcdonald oh uh, I, I, no, <laughs> can I you pick it. no way they were all Sophie's so choice. so lovely so so nice and so so supportive no, you couldn't. You couldn't pick. They're all amazing, phenomenal actors as well. Like, oh, it was so. It's so exciting to know that I've worked with them. It's it's fantastic. They're so brilliant. Yeah, uh, we had a question as well from Scouse Blue X on yeah. uh, Twitter, and she said, "Did you want your role to last longer on the show?" I mean, you always want you know your character to go on forever, <laughs> but I obviously really, really trust Jed, and if he says that Ryan going now serves the story the best, then obviously I'm completely on board with that. Yeah, yeah. If we could have a little like ghost like apparition or something at some yeah, point yeah, in the future, yeah. that would that be, be good. That be. Yeah. I mean, my yeah. God, what a way to go out as well. You know, you and yeah. Vicky McClure. And if anyone's going to take you out the show, Vicky McClure is a good good candidate, isn't she? Absolutely. So, yeah. Someone asked here, ex Alessia, ex 28, which other character in Line of Duty would you be if you hadn't been Ryan and you could you could just pick? <laughs> if I could just pick, um, yeah. it would it would uh, be Kate, totally. You know, who doesn't yeah, want to hang out <laughs> hang out the back of a, a truck with a gun in your hand? Like, how cool is that? <laughs> so totally yes. her, yeah. Okay. What's your dream role? My dream role? Um, like in, uh, Inception or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I love Interstellar as well. Like one of my favourite films. Yeah. So something really science-y and, and uh, you know, really accurate um, of that would be probably one of my dream roles. Yeah. Totally. I just put it out there. I mean, all the all the top casting directors listen to this uh, podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. Tommy Jessup brilliantly plays oh, Terry, yeah. um, and he's in a Spielberg yeah, movie yeah, now, yeah. isn't he? Doing so amazingly, yeah. No, he's brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, so cool. Fantastic. I know. So so cool. Oh, it's the stuff of dreams. I know. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So and so so now you're you are a you're a jobbing actor yeah. now, yeah. and uh, and you're also. Um, well, you you have taken over Esther's mantle, haven't you? Yes. You've um, yeah. you've taken over running the the drama youth group yes. that you started at, yeah, which is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, amazing, amazing opportunity. Um, yeah, and and we do we're putting on the uh, the shows, so we're all gearing up for the shows that are kind of next year because of all all COVID stuff and things like that. So it's all been delayed and yeah. everything. But yeah, that's so exciting to have. Um, yeah, amazing. We wanted to keep it going. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, it must be very exciting for your 
your pupils at yeah. the school to have you um, teaching them. And, <laughs> and um, what what a great opportunity for them, yeah. you know, to learn from from you, who, who, who's kind of worked with some of the best in the business. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and well, you're, as I said before, I'm sure you're an inspiration to the, oh, the, these young people. Thank you. That's so, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't think of better role oh, models, actually, you. at all. My son is particularly just well they my, both my kids love yeah. you but my son in particular is like <laughs> when's when are we going to see Greg again? <laughs> and I just oh. think what a brilliant role model you oh. are for for young thank people you. thank you That's so okay. much for coming thank on the so podcast thank you so much for thank you thank you well I've learned I've learned so much and it, it has been an absolute treat to speak to you oh, Greg thank you, you guys. so thank much you. Yeah. thank you very much I'm predicting big things thank for you, you Gregory <laughs> Piper Sir Gregory Piper of the thank acting you. world that's very nice <laughs> lots of love you. you have been listening to limited time only If you've enjoyed this episode, then why don't you share it with someone you think would enjoy it too? Please like, follow or subscribe so we can pop into your ears on a regular basis. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Your glowing reviews will help to shape future episodes and help other people to find us. You can join the Limited Time Only Conversation on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us hello at limitedtimeonlypodcast.com. We'll be back for more next time. But But for for now... now... I'm off down the pub to listen to Riddler on the Roof.